Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Mining Your Business podcast, a show all about process mining, data science, and advanced business analytics. Yet again, Patrick here, and with me as always, my colleague Jakub. Hi there. Hello. Today's episode is all about business intelligence tools. The race is on for the next big innovation in this field. Here today to share his unique insight, Telmo Silva, CEO of ClickData. Let's do it. More often than not, we can see that the most important indicators in a process mining report are still the big numbers on the top of the screen, also known as KPIs, and not the variants or process paths that you can see in the process explorers. Number of documents, average throughput times, or ratio of manual changes, these are all examples of data that is still easier and more instinctive to present as a number than read from the process explorer. A lot of users fell in love with the process mining tool after laying their hands on it. However, they are still very uh, often using it as a BI tool rather than a process mining tool. And since BI tools are inseparable part of process management as a whole, we have invited a guest who has been developing his uh, with, with his own company, their own BI tool in the last 15 years. Please welcome Telmo Silva from Click Data. Telmo, thank you for coming to the show. Thank you for having me. All right, I guess let's start with some very, very basic. Um, what is Click Data and what do you do? Well, Click Data was born out of uh, the, the fact that we, uh, my life experience, my career experience was going around different companies and talking about um, processes and talking about uh, putting proper processes, proper tools and, and people, right? And surrounding that, those were the, the three main components. And uh, I would be in charge of implementing some sort of a, a large enterprise system, maybe a CRM, maybe an ERP, maybe uh, a BI tool. And more often than not, um, what I found is I went back to those same companies uh, months later, a year later, to find out that uh, the cornerstones of what we tried to put in place were not staying with the company. In other words, we would put and spend millions of euros or dollars into uh, a BI platform, and then just to find out that the companies are reverting back to spreadsheets to manage their business. Uh, we would put in place very strict protocols of process, um, only to find out that uh, you know there's a lot of deviations. And that frustrated me, and that made me want to do something different, to say, why are we having this problem? Why do we still have to so many years of, uh, of, of process management from Kanban to, you know, to all these other methodologies uh, with so many BI tools out there. Why are we still having these issues? And that made me want to build Click Data. And Click Data really is an all-in-one business intelligence and data management platform that hopefully will assist companies uh, in uh, more rapidly achieving the goals of monitoring what's important to them, their KPIs, as you mentioned in the introduction. And that's what I've been working on for the last uh, 12 years of my uh, click data life, almost 15 years uh, after research. And uh, that's who we are. You basically already answered one of my questions. And now uh, it was, uh, I had this uh, conversation with a friend of mine who also interestingly works in a BI environment. And he said, I think the biggest competitor of any BI tool on the market is Microsoft Excel. Like, hands down, this is the one that we are fighting for. And as long as we cannot bring anything more than Excel, we are, we are doomed. Um, 
the, the next question would be like, how do you even see this development uh, throughout the time since you have a very long experience on this market? So uh, I guess that the first attempts were to eat, to like bring up the data and visualize in some better form than Excel. And where is it really going right now? Uh, well, I, I do think that there's there's still a transformation taking place, but it's very slow. And uh, if we look at the history of of data analysis and, and business intelligence and what that means, um, it is a very wide field. We talk about things such as data lakes and data warehouses. We talk about data visualization tools like Tableau and and uh, Power BI. Uh, we talk about uh, a lot about embedded analytics, mobile analytics. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of confusion in the market as to what that is. But what is exciting about all this is that whatever all that means, it means there's they're all moving towards some sort of a, a betterment of themselves. Meaning it's like machine learning. Today we talk about machine learning. Nobody really knows what it is, <laughs> but there's a lot of progress being made in different areas in natural language selection, natural language prediction, natural language processing, um, you know, object detection. Oh man, I, there's so many areas I can't <laughs> even name them, but it's all moving kind of um, independently um, which is very tough for anybody really to implement because it's very technical. And like I said, it's very fragmented. So I think there's the future of BI is really uh, not building a dashboard with a nice chart because charts, everybody can make them. Yeah. And there's a lot of great tools that can make them very beautiful. But it's about the whole thing. It's about harmonizing that the data changes in one place and it feeds through the different processes and boom, all of a sudden you see something on your mobile or on your phone or, you know, uh, some kind of communication, audiovisual communication. So I think the, you know, I cannot predict where all this is going, mm-hmm. but I definitely think that the, uh, the harmonization of all these technologies to help a business, a company, an organization, um, ourselves, why not? Uh, be better and monitor ourselves better is really what's exciting about this. Um, you mentioned that the transformation from you know these analytic tools is very slow. Can you define for me what you think is a company that is slow to or even just starting in this transformation or and one that is already further ahead and very much at the forefront? Well, I, I do think that if you look at... Uh, I'm not going to go into Excel because Excel is definitely the, uh, it's more than just um, a, a BI tool uh, as, at, at times. It's a programming language. It's a screen of data entry. It's, uh, um, you know, a funny story is when my dad was starting out, um, you know, in computers and I had to teach him different things. I went back to him a week later and I saw him type, uh, he loved to write. And he, he wrote an entire novel in Excel. And, and I asked him why he used that as opposed to Word. And he said, well, I found it more intuitive. And I think that's interesting, right? I, I, I could challenge him in many different ways, but uh, you got to give it to spreadsheets, not Excel, because Excel is just a spreadsheet. And Lotus 1, 2, 3, and all the other ones before them, it's an amazing tool. It's an amazing imaginary you have a grid of unlimited cells or supposedly unlimited and you can reference them. And it's like, it's a toy for, for somebody that loves to play with data. And so that's a very old tool, but I'm not going to get into those. But uh, if we talk about things like uh, Tableau, which is definitely one of the most used visualization mm-hmm. tools, uh, it's been around for 25 years. 
And although they've added, you know, new features and so forth, and they're, you know, they're going cloud and all that, but in, in essence, they're still the same. We haven't invented any new visualization uh, in years. I mean, probably the last person that invented something cool was Stephen Few with the bullet chart. Um, before that, we've been using line charts, bar charts, pie charts. I mean, has there been any other type of amazing visualization? Uh, you know, there's the, 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 you know, the TED Talks moving chart. Unfortunately, I forgot the gentleman's name that he passed away two years ago, but an amazing uh, storyteller and data teller. Um, I mean, very few innovation in that, in that respect. In terms of data mining in data warehousing, we're still talking about databases, okay? We're talking about NoSQL versus SQL, but okay, it's still SQL. There's a SQL in there somewhere. Um, so has there been really a great innovations in that, in that respect? Um, I think there's more capacity. I think there's more performance. I think we can treat more data, but I think we're still just trying to catch up to what we really should be, which is ahead of that curve. So yeah, I mean, that's what I think it's old about the industry. Um, are there companies that are kind of grasping the concept? Yeah, there are a few. Um, uh, I, I respect some companies that have embraced the fact that it's not about visualization, that it's not just about data mining. It's not just about connectivity. It's not just that they embrace the whole thing as a platform yeah. rather than, than you know, singular uh, modules or singular functionality. Um, I've appreciated companies that have taken uh, machine learning uh, module a little bit beyond into open source, like H2O and things like that. So yeah, there's companies that I find that have the potential to, to innovate still within this grand uh, segment that we call BI. Mm -hmm. uh, very well said. I, I really, very nice listening to, to all this history and to all putting these dots together. Um, so when we are looking at the BI tool, uh, in my opinion, we can essentially dissect it into three parts. So First one that you said that uh, there is very little developments uh, lately and there's not much really to do uh, is the data visualization. So um, the second one would be the data acquisition and the treatment in general. And in my opinion, the third one is that part when you actually create this environment, uh, something where you can actually manage all of this and go beyond just showing the data to the users, but actually making actions on it, regardless whether it's in the tool directly or whether you are triggering some other systems which is also something that other companies that uh, we work with closely uh, is a direction that where they are going. So we'll definitely get, in, uh, get into that. But uh, let's step back and let's start with the first one. Uh, I guess the first which you have to do in any BI tool is obtain the data. Uh, right. you, you are saying that this is sometimes can be a, quite a challenge. Why is that so? Well, do you remember the times when you had the data all in your servers in-house and you had the keys to the servers and to the databases. I would like to say we do remember, but I would be lying. <laughs> <laughs> well, those were the days before the word cloud came along. Uh, you would have a company and they would have rooms filled with servers and the databases would be all locked in there. But the thing is, you go to the IT guy and the IT guy knew how to get to the data. And you had no issues getting to your data. Uh, this time it's not so easy, right? You buy a SaaS product on the cloud, you no longer have that direct key access to your data. So what the industry promised was this amazing three-letter word, which is called API. And with the API, you magically can get any data you want. And that, frankly, that's not true, right? 
API is a terminology, it's a framework. You could do a REST API, you could do a SOAP API. There's SOAP 1.1, 1.2, there's REST with JSON, <laughs> REST with XML, there's REST in CSV, there's REST that is REST, there's REST that is not REST. So what are these standards after all? It depends on the implementation. And then you have the sense of the companies of saying, for example, let's take a look at Facebook. They had an API. They said, well, this is your data. You should have the API access to go get your data and I'll give it back to you. But then they had this little problem a year and a half, two years ago with Cambridge Analytics and all of a sudden their API was locked. Nobody could get to their API. So these companies are now holding your data, your, your own property hostage. So is it really that easy today to get your data? It's not. Um, it requires technology, uh, know-how. Uh, an API is not the same API for different systems. You may be using two or three cloud systems, and you may be using still some Excels uh, at home. How do you combine both of those together? So the acquisition is a very difficult su- subject today, probably even harder today than before, because right now you are dealing with all this disparity of cloud-based systems of which you have to adapt to each one of them. So this is one of the things where Click Data is trying to to obviously help, Mm -hmm. is to build a connector for as many systems as we can. Um, But there's so many systems and there's so many of us. So we're trying to get there and and hopefully uh, technologies and frameworks such as GraphQL, which are looking very promising, um, uh, will help us in the future. But right now, data acquisition is still a very difficult uh, Mm -hmm. uh, topic. Yeah, so you said uh, at Click that you're trying to build as many connectors as possible. When a company comes out with a new connector, do you say, ah, damn, another connector that I need to program for? Or is it, wow, this is a new connector that does something super cool that I didn't even think was possible. So which side of those are you on? Well, we actually look at it. You know, there's a new company that's come out. Uh, let's say that some of our customers all of a sudden come to us and say, well, we just uh, signed up with company XYZ, it's a system that allows us to do project management, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would love for Click Data to go there and get data from there so we can create dashboards. And we look at that and we say, yeah, you're right, this is a cool company. Uh, I think they're going to go very far. And I would like to invest the time in learning their API if they have one or whatever technology they allow us to use and create a connector for them uh, so that our com- customers can benefit from that platform. Um, and, you know, uh, again, like, like I said, you know, it's, it's almost like a constant uh, effort on our part because, you know, they, sometimes they change their APIs, they change their connectivity, and we need mm-hmm. to keep that up as well, right, with the new features and so forth. So it is, uh, it is challenging on our side to, to maintain them. But if we see systems that we really like uh, and they have really amazing data that our customers love it and they want to have it, uh, we'll be more than glad to, to build connectors for that. I, I have to say that this is the part where we are a bit biased as uh, the technology we are working for, we usually mine from one system only. Those are huge quantities of data and basically building another connector to it wouldn't be impossible, but nobody really is so far, it's very far from from doing that. So. We are usually lucky enough to just connect to one system, usually very standardized one, such as uh, um, either SAP or some other uh, Oracle database or something, which makes our lives much easier. But uh, in your experience, you are doing a little more than that. And I'm thinking now, so you have all these data sources and then 
you let's say that you are able to read the data, uh, get them refreshed on a regular basis, and somehow get them into one place. Then you have a lots of data that could be seemingly unrelated. What do you do about it? That that is correct, and this is this is where it gets really interesting for us, right? And for the customers, their entire purpose is, um, you know, let's take SAP for example. A company that uses SAP um, has data in in a a, a fairly standard uh, accessible format, and SAP itself comes with a lot of reporting tools built in, business mm-hmm. objects and things like that. Would they really need somebody like ClickData? Potentially not. If that is the only system they have. The truth mm-hmm. of the matter today is that companies are no longer choosing the one system. They're choosing best of breed. So they may pick SAP because it's very structured for order entry, sales management, or maybe for HR or other things product mm-hmm. uh, related. But then they may pick something else for a CRM system or something else for uh, accounting, for example. So what happens then? Well, now there's a need to merge this data with that data. They need to see, okay, if I invoice here, do I get to see the financials results there? If I see an order and shipment over here, do I see the outcome over there? And that's where click data comes in and, and brings those things. So that's, that's kind of the easy part to say, okay, go to SAP, get all that data, go to this other system and get that data. Okay. Now the hard part is what do you do with those, right? Is there a link between them? Is there an understanding of foreign keys? Is there a, something that you can pick upon to say yeah. that equals that? That's the challenge. So that's where, you know, the human intervention comes in, right? The expertise of people that know both systems and say, okay, I think I can make that work. If I apply a transform here, I can now create a bigger data base, mm-hmm. a big data lake of more information. Um, But what's interesting to me is to go beyond that, is to say, what if our systems were smart enough to start understanding that the data that they're being accessed, right? What if they understood that if you load an Excel with in Japanese, you don't understand the language, and somehow the system actually understands that what you've loaded here is, let's say, a list of uh, invoices or a list of orders, because they've detected the, that this column has a quantity, that this column is a date, that this column is a product name that they've recognized. Um, now the system can make start making suggestions, at least, to say, maybe you can link this data set with that data set. And that's where the world is going to be interesting, right? This is where uh, this type of uh, uh, text analysis is going, these cognitive services are going to really come in handy to help customers that normally would not know any better to make these links between, between them. Oh wow! So you're saying you can um, beautify data sets by kind of giving like uh, adhere tax to these, and that can automatically kind of figure out what it's looking at. So, so we, yeah, what we would like to do is exactly that: is to start defining what we call uh, the the DNA of data, right? Hmm. To know that even though I don't know the language or I don't know what that column is, imagine if I just give you a CSV without headers that you will be able to understand that, oh, that's a product there that they're talking about. And that's a quant. It's, it's a very difficult subject, but it's where we would like to go because that is where many of our customers are having challenges, right? Um, mm-hmm. If it's just about building a report on their own system, that's easy, that they don't have that need. But it's when they need to merge data, and your point's exactly, the challenge becomes when you start bringing data from disparate yeah. modules and systems, and you have to make sense of it all. Yeah, sounds very very complicated. How would you even go about 
figuring out what data you're looking at? Is it just like you're, you're, you're looking at the type of data that is in there? Or is it a little bit of both? Is it Does it look at the whole data set in order to figure out what it's looking at? Or, or how do you go about doing that? Well, basically, you can start with, with things that are simple. Uh, text uh, columns, for example. You don't really look at the type of columns. That's the easy piece. But you look at the content of the columns. So if you start looking at the content of the columns and use uh, tools such as Open Database, uh, Wikipedia, Wikimedia, etc., to uh, start uh, identifying um, uh, using dictionary tables to start identifying and saying, okay, if I see a column that I see, uh, you know, uh, Coca-Cola, uh, Sprite, Seven mm-hmm. Up, okay, these are soft drinks. Okay, so I've, with a high degree of confidence, I've determined that this is a brand column uh, that contains products related to liquid beverages, uh, and you start working towards that. Uh, dates are easy. You start thinking, okay, now I have a product. And I have a relationship of uh, an entity to many dates. Okay, so the same event is taking place in many dates. Then you start getting into numbers and you look at decimals and you look at, say, okay, mm-hmm. are these currencies? Are these, are these fractional numbers? Uh, you start looking at the, the pattern of uh, distribution of integers, for example, to say, well, I'm fairly sure this is quantities. There's always a repeated number of buying 12 Coca-Colas every day. Okay, so that's 12. It's a pack. Uh, so you start looking at all these things and you start really trying to figuring out, is there another table in my system that has kind of similar DNA pattern, right? Does it have the same things? Oh, yeah, there's another table. Okay, maybe they should be talking to each other. Mm-hmm. So the ultimate goal would be to somehow skip over the part where an actual data scientist or someone who is talking to all those module uh, module experts talks to, like, what does this do, uh, where you can get the information, and how can I go from this system into that system and somehow have this help or some some tool that gives you an ideas and inputs that probably with some, as you are saying, with some level of probability, gives you a correct link to that. That is correct. It's it's a tool of assistance of of, of data analysts, uh, data scientists. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's uh, you know it's still at its earliest of stages, and frankly speaking, the types of customers that we have, you know, what they want to know is historical data, and once yeah. that relationship is set, you know, they don't need to do it again, right? Yeah. Uh, it, uh, until they change to the next system or load the next. A completely different data set, um, but to us, it's very interesting to to have that capability to uh, to be more uh, rapid at assisting yeah. our customers. Um, now, is this is this um, information about tables, this quote unquote knowledge that you're building up for each table and how they're related? Is that something that is shown to somebody working in the quote unquote backend, knowing how to relate these tables, or is this very much something that you're showing to like business users that should kind of collate the data in a specific way? Right now, we don't show that to anybody. It's still a work in progress for us because what we want to do is, um, again, we if we show this to the business customer, um, they may you know, just assume that that is correct and move on without any additional analysis. Uh, the other piece is if we sh- the customers that we have, they have experts, data experts on staff, um, but their data expertise is really about building upon historical well-known data. They know mm-hmm. the data very well and they don't need the system to tell them anything really. Yeah. Uh, they have they have things down pat. So we have a very specific customer base right now, which is not to say that that will be the same customer we will have in five or 10 years. And so we're just preparing the groundwork 
So we're, we're creating these DNA footprints or thumbprints, if you will, just for our own use to mm-hmm. see how can we improve the platform, right? Um, if you both log into the platform and you load similar looking systems or looking data, um, can we suggest something that you did, uh, Jacob, to Patrick and vice versa? Can we learn from the masses? That's where we kind of are trying to, to, to go with this, something that the tool uh, helps the people, not necessarily to show the actual under underground, you know, under underlying uh, mechanics of it. Right. Now that sounds sounds brilliant. Uh, all right. Uh, so going from that first part of the data acquisition, then there is the you, you have the data you store them somewhere, either in a customer database, maybe some cloud system. Regardless where it is, uh, you have the data in one place. Then you go into the data visualization. You you are saying that this is the easy part. However, I'm thinking whenever I have to build a graph in, in Excel, it's usually, it's not a 20 seconds job. I really have to look at how to actually put those data together and, and, and visualize it. Why do you find it so easy? Well, I, maybe easy is not the right word, but it's definitely, um, you know, it's definitely the easy part because if you have a clear idea of what you're looking for, and your data is properly cleaned, um, properly uh, normalized, then any decent graphing tool should not have an issue displaying that data, right? Um, it is basically a category, time series, uh, or you know, sequential numeric uh, access, uh, one or the other. You can't have anything else than that. It's either there are either categories, they're either date time ranges, mm-hmm. or they're you know, numeric sequences. So um, that's why I think it's it's easy, right? And if you take, you know, a pie chart, it's even easier. You just you just need a, a category and a value, and you have a pie chart, right? Um, when I say it's easy, it's it's easy once you have the data ready. And this is why we focus so much on the data side. Um, building the chart is easy if you have the right tool and if it does the right job. Um, now, Excel once again is a uh, you know, it's the word processor of charts as well, right? You can do anything, right? Mm-hmm. So can you use Excel to do charts? Yes. Can you, uh, do you have to do the same thing next week? Probably if you paste new data and, and will it break your chart? Probably if you don't <laughs> use named ranges and things like that. But the thing is, it's, it's a nice tool. Nonetheless, mm-hmm. you can do very beautiful looking charts. Um, it becomes a sense of style. It becomes a sense of corporate identity. Uh, I want these colors. Uh, I mean, there's people that are against pie charts, 100%. Uh, there's people that say you should never use one. And there's people that say, no, we must absolutely use pie charts. They're very easy to read. So it becomes more of a, the creative side of data analysis. You know, how can I communicate to my users, to my, uh, to my uh, fellow, uh, you know, uh, employees? And how do I communicate this clearly? How do I show them that my sales are going up or how they're going down? Or, you know, where are we having issues? Mm-hmm. Uh, do I pick red? Because red is seen as a bad thing, where in China it's seen as a very good thing, a sign of luck or a color of luck. I don't know. I mean, those are things that are very creative and very cultural uh, about the person, about the company, about the region they live in. So I think that's where it's actually fun. It's, it's simple and fun in that sense, right? But you have to have the right tool. I agree. Mm-hmm. Is it that um, you can be creative? That is the, I guess, 
better side of it? Or is it more that you kind of have to pay attention to these cultural differences? You have to pay attention to, yeah, this person doesn't like this pie chart. This person prefers donut charts. This person is colorblind. So we have to take take into account the, the colorblindness aspect. And um, are you more restricted in that sense? Or is it really just a creative all hands, uh, all hands free? No, absolutely. I think you're right. Um, I didn't mean to say that it's a free for all, you know, paint, paint your charts. I think there's a lot of techniques um, and, and know-how um, in terms of conveying the right message using visual indicators. Um, when I said it was easiest, if you enjoy doing it, if you're, if you have a passion for numerical um, and visual uh, analytics, um, it should be simple and fun, right? Um, if, if you look at the tool and say, oh, look at this great tool, I can put 50 charts on one dashboard, <laughs> and you do that um, without understanding that the people that you're sharing that dashboard with are probably not going to go past the second chart, if, if so, um, then, you know, that, that's become detrimental to, to, mm-hmm. to everything you're doing. So, yeah, I mean, there's, I, I'm not, uh, and maybe that came across wrong as saying that I'm dismissing it as a, as a nothing. I mean, uh, I do have a lot of respect for, for great visual uh, analytics uh, designers, uh, but I do believe that the best ones are the most creative ones as well. Um, not only in terms of taking into things like you said, color, uh, color uh, selection, uh, not only because you have a disability or, or maybe you do uh, or not, but you need to be aware of that. Uh, fonts, selecting fonts, there's nothing worse than having charts with comics, and, you know, <laughs> and all over the place. But you have to have a good basis of, of that. But it should be fun. It should be simple, right? And maybe it's not today still. <laughs> I keep telling my colleagues to put more focus on the the beauty of the charts and they just keep ignoring me and saying, yeah, but the numbers are more important than the charts. I said the opposite. (laughs) No, please, you are showing it to the business people. The first thing they'll see are the colors and this is the first thing they will complain about. So please make the colors look good. (laughs) Uh, Nothing will save you. If your boss says they want the pie chart in purple and blue, you make a pie chart in purple and blue. What can you do, right? It's unfortunate, but it's what it is. Totally, totally agree. And uh, anyway, my my next question would be uh, still about these, uh, these, these charts and especially the numbers you're showing. So what we are sometimes dealing with is um, not really trusting the numbers because a lot of our customers, they are using a lot of different BI tools. They have like, uh, as you were mentioning, they have Tableau, they have BI, BI tool from, from Microsoft and they have other tools as well. And then suddenly we come in and we show them, okay, so this is the number. Um, how do you persuade them that the, the numbers that you are showing uh, are the single source of truth, if, if you want? Or how you even persuade them that they are correct in the first place? Because this is also a very difficult part. Well, that's, that's a great question. That is, uh, uh, that is a huge challenge for us. And that's a challenge that we came across very early with Click Data. Uh, because when we start implementing Click Data with a customer, or the customer used Click Data to implement the BI system, they would often come to us and say, oh, this is great. I've automated um, data from the different systems. And it's it, every day, every morning gets processed. And every morning, my boss gets a dashboard on their mobile. This is great. Thank you very much. And then a week later, they say, 
is there any way that I can approve before Click Data sends the dashboard uh, to my boss so that I have time to review the numbers? Because there may be some numbers that I may need to exclude or add. Or And I'm thinking, well, the system goes get the data. The data is the data. You cannot lie, right? The system is automated. We cannot stop the process, right? Um, the only way is by doing it manually. You go back to a manual mode where you get the chart and you kind of see, uh-oh, I can't show this to my boss uh, for some reason or another. And you have to kind of add some, some, some levers that you can adjust the numbers to account for whatever um, political or potentially even bad data situation that you may have encountered. How do, you, how do you make them trust the numbers? Well, you know, we're not in the business of telling them how to trust the numbers. We are a tool provider. We are a software developer. We tell them our tool does its job. And if it does not its job, if you can prove to us that we are not processing the data right or that you've used one of our formulas and our formula is not returning the right value, we will identify the bug and fix it. But we are not going to prove you or disprove you. And that happens sometimes. We, we are competing constantly when, uh, when they bring the data for a system, Facebook, uh, Google Analytics, SAP, whatever mm-hmm. the system is. They will compare that with their reports internally. And more often than not, it's because they forgot to apply some business rule. Um, you know, that, oh, yeah, remember, on our system, we excluded this because... Etc. And 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 when we explain it and say, well, if you apply that business rule to do that report, you need to apply it for subsequent data feeds. So this is a normal data analyst job, and hopefully we have customers that have good data experts or or companies that work with them to do so. Uh, and we have our own, of course, data analyst team that can help identify those and walk them through. But uh, but yeah, it's um, I don't think that will ever go away. I think that's a great question. I, I think that. That piece is going to be probably a good chunk. I don't know what percentage it would be, but it's part of a business data analyst day-to-day job to, to be up to speed on all those rules and, and the data quality and the data and, and the validation of that data. So what you're saying is that you can give the, the users and the data analysts the tool and what they make out of it and what levers they press and what they don't press is still very much a, a human element. Absolutely. As a, as a tool provider, you just cannot change. Absolutely. It. If you want to build a dashboard with 50 charts, you can. If you want to do a join that results in a 10 billion rows join, you can. Um, <laughs> it's unfortunate that the tool is the tool, right? Yeah. It sometimes pains me when I know I have to build something that I know will probably not be correct, but uh, you know I have to listen to what the customer wants. So there you go. <laughs> and then a couple of months later, they are reporting that it's not correct, and I'm like, yeah, it's. Uh, you remember the discussion we had? Uh, yes, that's that was the reason. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so we talked about the, the data acquisition, we discussed the visualization, and then comes actually the interesting part, which we are also right now with our, our projects, our internal projects uh, at, and that is the next step. So you have, the, you, you have already uh, covered all the data sets, you have all the data you need, you have the reports, you can see the numbers, historical numbers especially, uh, you trust the data to the level that you are comfortable making decisions out of them. And then you have the next steps. Uh, those are automations, predictions, alerts. Uh, how can you even leverage strengths of BI uh, to, to go this next step? Yeah, well, 
Where we took it was a little bit different, and this takes us back to our initial discussion of where innovation of BI comes in, right? Mm-hmm. When we initially talked about BI, uh, and if you, you know SAP, so you know business objects, what the industry tried to do is to do these embedded analytics. That means, well, there's this analytics product, and we'll embed that in our core systems, right? We're embedding the reporting back into the transactional data. Mm-hmm. We saw things differently. We saw uh, with the rise of the low-code or no-code applications, uh, with the rise of mobility and, and, and this mm-hmm. kind of mashup of, 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 uh, of webs and things like that, we thought of actually going the other way, which is to say, listen, what if, what if we, the dashboard no longer becomes just a paper-based uh, you know, or 2D surface of charts? But what if it becomes a living, breathing document where you can actually enter data uh, and that it alerts you to things and that it's, it's alive, right? What if it's no longer called a dashboard, but some kind of a live document? And so we start building new what we call widgets, which is, for example, the ability for them to, well, they see the charts and they go, oh, yeah, okay, well, let me enter this new data there to correct that or, to, uh, or I have some new data to give you. I don't want to wait for the API to kick in or whatever. I'll just add it in and things like that. What if I click buttons and it takes me to another screen, which is nothing to do with click data, but it's actually an application. I click on a chart and I click on a pie and then all of a sudden it opens up, you know, some other system with that data or the transaction level of that data. So that type of interaction is really where we wanted to take it. We wanted to, to make sure that the dashboard is almost like a visual component that you can use where, however you want, that you can build it. It becomes almost like a screen painting tool that you can sometimes put data and visualization. Other times you can put a clickable things, interactive things, right? So that is one of the things that we try to do. We've, we, we are also, we have alerts. We have things like schedules that are a bit more regular to say every morning at 9 a.m., uh, you know, Mass publish these these uh, Slack messages to my mm-hmm. my teams with charts and things like that, um, and then we start thinking about what if you could ask questions in Slack directly, for example, instead of having to log into a, a BI platform, you can just ask uh, how are my sales today, and the bot kind of goes to click data, searches all the dashboards, and returns a dashboard with the sales today uh, using a bit of natural language processing. Right, all that stuff is where we want to take that to become more of an engine behind the scenes rather than to become a system, a BI system. Mm-hmm. So um, if I'm understanding this right, you have the, the data acquisition part that's kind of feeding everything into one place, one knot or this engine that can then disperse that information to several places wherever the user is to get instant access to the exactly the question that they're asking. Um, yep. Um, so my question is, what do you think is the biggest use case for these actions, this outgoing part of the engine? What do you think would be the most beneficial for customers? Well, I think it depends what you use, um, in our case, what you use the platform for. But, you know, giving some examples, um, if we have uh, uh, stock and, and kind of the logistics is one of them that comes to mind all the time to say, okay, we're having a shortage of 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 stock, etc. Do I have to act upon what is happening with the warehouse? Uh, do I need to act o- upon it soon? Um, with uh, with our medical customers and, and healthcare customers, um, you know, which right now they're being overly taxed with the current situation, and and typically they're always taxed because the healthcare system 
in every country is always under under fire for for a lot of reasons. Uh, so optimization of costs is is critical. Uh, so catching things such as operating rooms that are not being used uh, quickly uh, is one of the things that we do. For example, for for healthcare customers to ensure that the labor is 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 being optimized uh, as much as possible, um, that the doctors are being utilized. Um, if we're looking at uh, retail, uh, especially retail, which is every cent counts, uh, these are the the actionable items. Uh, how they use it is is it goes beyond you know my personal uh, kind of vision of what click data is. I can tell you what I use click data for, which is the minute that I see that you know we have more support tickets than not, and I see a little alert going up. Uh, in the morning when I wake up, that tells me something bad happened last night in somewhere. <laughs> um, and immediately I go into investigation mode, right? I drill down and say, okay, it seems like our US data center is slow. Why is it slow? Why are we getting more support tickets? So, you know, a wide variety of actionable items, right? Um, but they all involved further digging, right? And some of them you've planned for, right? Some of them you have the next dashboard and the next indicator to tell you the next thing. And some of them, you arrive at the end of the line and you kind of go, well, I still don't know the reason, right? Mm -hmm. And that becomes potentially something more of a qualitative discussion you need to have with staff or people or customers, et cetera. Um, was it difficult for you to set up an alert that you know could potentially ruin your morning? <laughs> I, I get those. <laughs> Unfortunately, I get those. Uh, being a cloud-based, we, we host... We host all our data and platform in, uh, in, in over six countries uh, around the world uh, with Microsoft. And, um, you know, there's always something happening. There's uh, either, either on our side, on their side, uh, with the Internet, you know, with there's always something happening. And, um, yeah, we, I have a few alerts <laughs> that <laughs> I wish I didn't have to write, but, um, but I have them. <laughs> Some people check Instagram in the morning. Some people check uh, whatever went wrong in the data center. There are all kinds of people. <laughs> Absolutely. What did your friend do yesterday? I don't care. I have a, my data center had a fire last night. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, Patrick, you had a question? Yeah, I did. Um, so in terms of turnaround for your actions, these actionable uh, things, from pulling the data from all these sources, putting it into the engine, and then feeding it to wherever it needs to go, how quickly can you do that? Well, it depends on the volume of data, obviously, but uh, but one of the things we can do, and this is the demo that I always give, is um, a customer is interested in, in quick data. They're trying to say, you know, where do I download? That's the first question. Can I? Do I need a database, etc.? So um, it takes about two minutes to sign up, where we basically give you a chunk of a database mm -hmm. in the region closest of your choice. Um, at which point, you can use one of our connectors. Uh, if you have an account, let's say, with uh, whatever system, SAP, if you have the credentials or, or Facebook, you make the connection, you test it, you start saying, okay, I'd like to find, uh, get a list of uh, all my friends, all my posts on Facebook, and how many likes I got, okay? And mm -hmm. please give me the history for the last two, two years. And going there for every day, please update it. So setting that up usually takes, you know, anywhere between 30 and 40 minutes, depending on their knowledge of their choice, but you could be up and running with data feeding into quick data within, within an hour. And then 
comes the hard part is, okay, what are you going to do with this data? What, where do you want to go with this, right? Is this the only data you have? Uh, do you want to build a dashboard with this? And if so, how do you want to see that dashboard? Do you want to see a chart with how many friends? Is it a time thing? You want to see your growth over time? So then it becomes a, a design, again, creativity, uh, also understanding what is it really that I want uh, as opposed to what I have. So we discussed a, a, a lot about, okay, this is the data that I have. So build, you know, I'm going to build a dashboard on that. And I go, yes, but none of that data is useful, useful to you. Why are you building a chart on that? Just because you can? Don't do that, right? So think the other way around. Start thinking about what you want to do, yeah. what's important for your business or yourself, and then see, do I have that data? And if I don't have that data, how do I can get to that data or infer the data, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's the hard part is, is if they have a very clear idea, you could be up and running in a couple of hours. If they need more help understanding their own data, and these days, these days, the data is becoming larger, not only in, in, in volume, but in width of yeah. parameters. There's no longer just likes. There's, uh, I kind of like you. I almost like you. Sometimes I dislike you. I mean, there's, there's different, all kinds of, there's clicks. There's clicks, uh, you know, the, you know there's, there's all kinds of different uh, metrics that I think people make up just to, to mm -hmm. have more data. But in essence, it becomes very challenging is to, do you understand the data and do you understand what you want to get out of it? Uh, if you know those things, it can be very quick. Right. Um, last part that I would like to also briefly discuss uh, is also the prediction part of the the, the models. So uh, as I was listening to you, you mentioned that you you know you see the alerts and that's usually uh, as was status. So you saw some problems and then you're sorting them out. And uh, as we all know, this uh, machine learning buzzword it's it's huge. Everybody's talking about it. Nobody really knows what it means. <laughs> including the people who are building the machine learning algorithms. Uh, uh, but regardless, it is a thing, uh, and more and more people will eventually use it. Uh, how can you even incorporate it in a BI uh, that is usually consumed by people who might not be on the same side as the developers who stand behind these algorithms? Because if you tell them, okay, so we have these deliveries, or as you were mentioning, some, some uh, cases in hospital, and with very uh, high likelihood, these uh, these rooms will be occupied. Uh, you know, and then you are there in the in front of the the dashboard. You're saying, "Yeah, maybe I don't think so. Maybe it's probably not right." How do you even persuade the people that these predictions are eventually uh, correct? Yeah, I, that's a very good point. In fact, that is that is an excellent point. I think I think there's a lot of good statistical analysis modules uh, out there. Uh, a lot of work is being uh, Basically, in my view of the machine learning and the artificial intelligence in the, the wider field, uh, the part that interests me the most is really the numerical analysis, the st statistical analysis. Mm -hmm. Things such as trending, forecasting, uh, segmentation. Uh, those are the topics that interest me the most. Uh, they're the most, let's call them basic ones of, of, of machine learning, but they're the ones that I believe would be the most useful for my customers. Because uh, what a customer wants to know is, do I need, where am I going to be two months from now or a year from now? You know, am I going to be selling? Uh, am I trending up? Am I trending down? Can you help me forecast this if I give you some, some values, some uh, assumptions? Um, if I look at my customers, are, do they like me? 
and I do some basic text analysis of sentiment analysis. You know, do they like me or not? Do they like my product? Do they like my service? Um, so these are things that are useful for the customer, uh, for a business owner, really, to manage their business, right? It's, they're as important as the indicators of historical data. It's, uh, it's, they're indicators of um, how things are going in a, in a higher level and where they could end up if I continue this way, right? Uh, so those are the things that are interest me. Uh, those are the modules that I, I kind of want to implement into Quick Data and give access to my customers uh, in such a way that is accessible, right? They, they don't have to learn Python to do this, that they don't have to learn the different regression models and, and things like that, but in a way that they can consume that. Um, I think this is where uh, we need to be, right? Mm -hmm. Then there's other things that we could do with machine learning such as what if instead of uh, asking them to type a formula uh, or to search for their dashboard, uh, which I referred to, what if they went to Slack and they typed an English sentence or a whatever language sentence, and we were able to understand from that language uh, what they wanted, right? And run that query on demand, right? Either find the dashboard or, or say, okay, what are my sales for this year compared to last year? There's a lot of people that are doing that already. And I think that's an interesting thing. It hasn't taken off. It has, it has proven kind of like a, you know, a cute feature, but not very useful mm -hmm. because if all data questions were like that, <laughs> we would not need data scientists or data analysts or anything. I mean, the questions typically are much, much more difficult, you know, yeah. a simple comparison like that. But, but I think it's getting there and it's advancing that stage. And I think the last, the most, you know, advanced level, in my view, of the, the implication of machine learnings within BI is not necessarily giving the customers that ability. I do think that machine learning and advanced statistics are still a very domain-specific uh, field that need context, that they can't be generalized just yet. They need, potentially, uh, you know, I hate to be one of those guys that says, well, we'll only need one computer in the future, but um, I do think that potentially one day we could get there. But for the next, let's say, 10 to 15 years, I do think context is very important in defining uh, learning models. So I don't think we're going to get there. But where I do think is very exciting, at least for me, is whether the BI system or the platform can learn from the mistakes and the successes of the use. Okay? So again, taking two data scientists that, you know, do a lot of analysis for the same company within the same data or similar data, data with the same DNA. Uh, one creates dashboards and does something type of analysis and is very successful at it, and the other one doesn't. Can the system learn from those, right? Mm -hmm. The system, well, the reason why it worked for this one and didn't work for that is because they joined it this way and they've transformed it and they've cleansed it this way. And, and the reason why everybody looked at this dashboard and nobody looked at that one is because this one was built nicely and this one was not, uh, or picked this metric. So that type of learning of use is kind of interesting to me, but that is not something that is useful for my customer. It's useful for me as a software developer, but hopefully they'll benefit from that indirectly through the software. Mm -hmm. Um, do you think that with the rise of these machine learning algorithms, neural networks, and all these things, the, the level of um, complexity that is used to predict or make certain predictions is going to be so huge that to normal business users that are looking at it, 
um, the, there'll be too much of a knowledge gap for them to grasp why is this this dashboard telling me that, hey, this is going to be late. If you click on it, why is it going to be late? And then it gives you an explanation of what a neural network is. <laughs> this is going to be a little bit of a big, um, you know, some big to swallow for, for most people. Do, do, you, do you worry about this? No, not, not really. Um, I, worry, I worry if the person using those systems has, um, has a mindset that they trust undoubtedly what the system tells them. Um, in that case, I do worry, right? Mm -hmm. But I do think that human beings to this day, they're still taking things into uh, human nature into consideration. And they say, just because my sales are going to grow by 20% this year, and then all of a sudden there's a COVID-19, they kind of go, oh, okay, well, that, that assumption went <laughs> out the door. Um, right? So, <laughs> so a normal human being will understand that you don't know what's going to happen around the corner, right? If you do, you know, there would be a lot of richer people. So, I mean, the, the thing is you have to take computers as with anything else and any, anything that comes out of a computer with a certain uh, context to say, well, yeah, if everything goes well, that, that model seems correct. You know, it seems on path with what we're predicting and that will hire or build or not based on that and, and, and make my, my decision. I still think it's better than just picking out a guess out of thin air and saying, well, I think we're going to grow, right? So it, it gives you. And even if it's 20% wrong or 30% wrong or anything above 50 for that matter, in my opinion, it's still better than, you know, no idea whatsoever, right? I'd rather have speed and make a decision Right now, if I have to make a decision right now with, you know, 60 or 70% of the data, then wait until I have 99% of the data, but it'll take me three more weeks to make that decision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'd rather make the decision right now, the speed of decision. A, because I don't think you will change much. And secondly, even if it does change, nothing guarantees me that 99%, you know, COVID it will still not come around the corner yeah. and destroy that 99% collision. So that's the type of, uh, that's how I see that people should use these type of, uh, you know, uh, suggestions, if you will, <laughs> from machine learning models. All right, uh, Thelmo, last, uh, before we wrap up the episode, I have last question. If you were uh, someone, uh, a company that is thinking about uh, buying a BI tool, uh, what would be the approach that you would take to even choose one? And what would you like, what kind of questions would you ask when, when doing this? Uh, as somebody that has been hit with many uh, requests for proposals and, <laughs> and questionnaires of anything ranging from three questions to 300 questions, um, my biggest advice is um, to anybody buying not only a BI system, but anything is um, don't be lazy, try it yourself. Okay. Um, there's nothing worse than somebody that says, well, the salesperson told me that this was going to work or this person told me it was going to work this way and it's not working that way. Mm -hmm. So get somebody to test it. Right. So this is the first thing I do. They say, well, I'm comparing you guys to Power BI. And I said, okay, well, why don't you get a trial of Power BI? You do your thing and get a trial of quick data side by side. Once you download Power BI, 
you know, by that time you should be done in big data. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's, it's about trying, it's about getting your hands into it. You can no longer, I don't think we can lo- no longer afford just to trust what marketing says. Websites are beautifully designed, mostly by people that have no clue what the product actually does. Uh, so you have to make sure you test the product, that it fits your business need, that it, that, you know, if you have questions, you ask the questions, but don't ever take anything for granted. Do your homework. Um, because there's no one question that really, what's important to you today may be not important to you later. Uh, maybe you forgot a few critical questions. And frankly speaking, there's way too many things in the field of data to try to summarize in a few questions about a product. Mm-hmm. So try it out. That's my first compare uh, and, and, and really try to imagine yourself using this tool as, a, as, as something useful for your business mm-hmm. uh, and then make up your decision. All right. Well, well said. Uh, tell me, where can people go to learn more about you? Well, www.pickdata.com uh, is uh, our company's name. And just search me up on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm somewhere around there. If you want to start interesting chats about any topics related to data, I love to learn and I love to talk about stuff. So, Lovely. Uh, we are very happy that you shared whatever you wanted to talk about here uh, with us on the show. Uh, I had a great time. I hope Patrick did as well. I did as uh, well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. To all the listeners out there, thank you for listening yet another episode of Minding Your Business podcast. Uh, we hope you like it. If you like it, please rate us on Apple uh, Apple Podcasts. We are always happy for a five-star rating, so just go ahead and do that. And if you have any questions, any recommendation, any advice for who to invite next, just hit up uh, hit us on uh, Minding Your Business podcast uh, at gmail.com and we are always there for you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Delmo. Thank you, Patrick. And talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you, Delmo. Bye-bye.